a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Thank you, Adam. Adam's excited. We have a new series on heroes. Um, so I was going to preach on my hero, Ryan Giggs, but I couldn't find him in the Bible. So I thought I'd better try somewhere else. Anyway, what's a hero? A hero is a person who is admired for having done something very brave or having achieved something great. So my hero's done both of those. He has done something very, very brave and he did something very great. My hero is Noah. And his story is found in Genesis chapters 5 to 9. Now, I'm going to read bits and pieces. We won't read the whole lot. But if you want to read the story of Noah, it's in Genesis chapter 5 through to chapter 9. And the story of Noah is all about building a big boat. A little bit about Noah. Noah was tenth in line from Adam through the line of Seth, who was Adam's son. The same line as Jesus, which we see in Luke 3.36. And this time frame we're going to look at covers around about 1,656 years. So from Genesis 1 to Genesis 9, you're looking at around about 1,656 years, which is about the same time as the rest of the Bible put together. So in these nine chapters, God takes us through the first 1,656 years. And then the rest of the Bible is about the same length of time. So it's a very long length of time in a very short passage. So Noah was the son of Lamech, and grandson of Methuselah. Now, who was Methuselah? Anybody know? The oldest man. And how old was he when he died? Ooh, 973. Uh, 969 years old when he died. We weren't bad. Well done, guys. I'm, I'm impressed. It's going to get more difficult, though. Because I've got the list of the top ten old people in the Bible. And you're not going home until you give me all of them with their ages. No, I shall run you through those in a bit. So he was the great-grandson of, or grandson of Methuselah, and he was the great-grandson of Enoch. Now, what do we know about Enoch? He was whisked away, and he walked with God. Is that a whisking? He walked with God. And he was the only man since Adam, remember this is 1,656 years, the only man since Adam, it was said of he walked with God. So Noah, our man, is the thirdest, third, thirdest? <laughs> I meant third oldest. Third oldest in all time at 950. So for a bonus point, who was the second oldest man in the Bible? Shall I give you a clue? Anybody used to watch Neighbours? No? If I say Toady. Jared, a point for you at the back. Jared was second at 962. Noah, third at 950. Then we have Adam, 930. Seth at 912. Kenan at 910. Enos at 905. Mahalalel at 895. Lamech at 777. And poor old Shem only lived for 600 years. The guy who was cut short in his prime. So what was it like in Noah's time? Well, this is where we turn to the Bible. I'm going to read Genesis 6, verses 1 to 5, just to give you a bit of background. When men began to increase in number on the earth, 
and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they married, any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children with them. They were heroes of old, that's the Nephilim, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil at this time. So in Noah's time, we see people are increasing, they're having babies, the numbers are growing. And then we see the sons of God start to notice the beautiful daughters of men. And I think the, be- the literal translation of the Greek is actually hot. <laughs> so the sons of God started to notice the hot daughters of men. So who are the sons of God? Good question. Who are you? First question. Are you a son or a daughter of God? Yes. So these guys were God's chosen. So what do we see? God's chosen chasing God's not chosen. So God's Christians of the day chasing non-Christians. Has a bit of a ring to it. Not only were they chasing them, because they could look, they were beautiful. It's not long, long to look at a beautiful woman. But when you looked, you should turn away. But no, they didn't. They chased them, they married them, and they had children with them. And as I say, it's the same today. Christian men and Christian women not finding partners in the church, so going outside of the church to try and find partners. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light up the darkness? So in those days, the Christian men were chasing non-Christian women. So who were these Nephilim then? They were heroes of old and men of renown. So I guess in today's language, they were probably, who should we say? Who were men of renown? Any ideas? Who's a man of renown these days? Gordon Brown. Okay, yeah, I'm not concerned. It. But that's the type of people we're looking at. They were probably the great businessmen of the day, the great politicians. They were looked up to, and that's, that's the Nephilim. That's where they were. But we also see, just at the end, there's every inclination or natural disposition of the thoughts of their heart were evil. So everything they thought about was evil. There was not a good thought in their minds. Whatever they thought about, it was wrong. Whatever they thought about, it was bad. It went against what God wanted. So these are the times of Noah. Happy times. But we see God is patient. As you said, it's 1,656 years that the world has been going downhill. It's quite a long time for someone to wait. All God has seen is people from Adam sinning. The world has just slid downhill. And now it's at a point where everything that they do, everything that they think is evil and is sinful. So it's been 1,656 years. So God says, right, that's it. I'm going to give them 120 years to repent, change from their ways, or we're going to get rid of them and we're going to start again. And this is at the point where we meet Noah. Now Noah wasn't very special. 
We see in Genesis 6 verse 12, it says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. Now, if you've been in this church for a while, you will know what all means. Because Graham likes to say all means. I think we need to get him back. All means all. It doesn't say that all except for Noah were corrupt. All means all. So here we have Noah, who is just the same as all the rest. No different from the others. But what does it say in Genesis 6 verse 8? It says, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. He was made righteousness by God's favour. He was made righteous by God's favour. It wasn't anything he'd done. It wasn't anything special about him. He found favour in the eyes of God, just like you and just like me. We were nothing special. Oh, I certainly wasn't anyway. But God looked on me and he looked on me with favour and said, yep, I'm going to have you. And that's exactly what he did to Noah. Pulled Noah out of this sinful race, this sinful world, and set him aside, say, I want you. So why does this man Noah deserve a place on our list of heroes? Well, I think there are three reasons why. And we'll quickly go through them. The first one, he walked with God. The first man to walk with God was Adam. The second one was Enoch. And the third person, it says, who walked with God was Noah. Genesis 9 verse 1 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among all the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now, I don't think he was blameless before he walked with God. But God's righteousness in him, God's grace, God's mercy, meant that in the eyes of others, he was then blameless. As we said earlier, Noah, along with his great-grandfather, he walked with God. Enoch was taken by God and avoided death. And Noah as well avoided death. Not in the same way. Noah avoided death on a rather large boat, which he had to build. But it does seem that men who truly walk with God miss this horrible ending called death. For us today, we know that there's more to life than death. We've got life afterwards. But for these people, death was the final. Death was final. So what does it mean to walk with God? Well, it just means keeping in step with him. It's a great picture of intimacy, isn't it? Families go walking together. Friends go walking together. And if you want to walk and talk, you generally walk side by side with somebody. You're keeping in step with them. You're walking beside them. doesn't mean to rush ahead. doesn't mean to run off into the distance like sometimes kids do. They get excited, they get overwhelmed, they just run off. It's not that. It doesn't mean to lag behind either. Getting a bit bored, getting a bit tired. It means walking step by step by step. And that's what Noah did. He walked with God. Everywhere God went, he went. Every time God said, go, do this, he did it. He walked with God. So Noah didn't run ahead of God. Nor did he lag behind. He kept in step. But he wasn't perfect. We see in Genesis 9 that he had a rather a weakness for wine. If you turn over into, if you look in Genesis 9, we see that Noah became drunk on wine and passed out naked in his tent without being covered. And he embarrassed his sons. 
which in that time was not a great thing to do. It's not a great thing to do these days. Jordan doesn't appreciate why I embarrass him. But then to find your father naked, drunk and asleep in your tent, it's just not a good thing to do. So Noah wasn't perfect, but as we said earlier, he was chosen. God looked down on him with favour, just like he does on us. We don't have to be perfect, but God chooses us. Looks down on us with favour. He's looking for a heart attitude. We've said it so many times before. He looks to the heart, whereas so many times we'll look at people from the outside. God always looks at the heart. A willingness to do what's right, that's what he's looking for. Not a perfect person, but someone who wants to do what's right, who wants to do what's good, who wants to be obedient. And in Noah, God found this. And that's why he chose him. So firstly, why is he great? Because he walked with God. He didn't just have a good Christian life, go to church a few times on a Sunday. He actually walked with God. So the second reason why I think Noah should be there on our list of heroes, he lived faithfully with his promise for 120 years. From the time that God first spoke to Noah about building the ark, to the time of the flood was 120 years. Now, some commentators will say that there wasn't any rain up to that point because the earth was watered by underground streams and, and brooks and things like that. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. Nevertheless, he had a promise that seemed unbelievable. You need to remember that Noah lived in a desert where if it rained at all, was very, very small. And God says to him, right, I want you to build a big boat in the middle of a desert. And he may not have even seen rain. He may not have known what rain was. But God said to do it. So he did it. Noah was asked to believe in something that he couldn't see, couldn't physically touch a flood. He may not have even known what rain was, but he was asked to believe in that. Maybe for some of you that sounds familiar. Maybe God has promised you things that you can't see yet. Promised you things that you think are a bit far out, a bit way out for you. But take Noah's example. He lived with that for 120 years. 120 years is a very good lifetime for one of us. I think the oldest man was about 123, isn't he, these days? Something like that. About 120 years is about the oldest we're going to live to. So for an entire of our long lifetimes, he lived with a promise. So how did he do it? Well, we've already seen he walked with God. But also another key ingredient was his faith in God. Faith is not seeing, then believing. But it's believing in what we do not see. He hadn't seen the rain or the flood, but he still believed. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Noah was certain that there was going to be a flood. Didn't see it. Didn't see it for 120 years. But he was certain of it. He had faith in God. He had to cling on to, didn't he, what he was told. For 120 years he built his boat. And he was also asked to preach the gospel. If you look in there, back in, um, I think it's in Mark, when, they, when he talks about um, these great men of faith. He talks about how Noah was asked to build a boat and preach the gospel. 
So for 120 years, with his three sons, he built a boat. And in his off time, he preached the gospel to a world full of sinners. And in 120 years, he didn't get a single response. His church at the beginning was eight people. It was Noah, Noah's wife, his three sons, and their wives. That was it. That was his church. He preached hard for 120 years. God had told him to build, so he worked hard at that. He told him to preach, and he did that. And not a single person was saved. We know that because only eight people got on the boat. If people had repented, if they turned away from what they were doing, they would have been on the boat. God would have saved them. He's a gracious God. But only eight people got on that boat. Can you imagine if we here at Jubilee, even six months in to a church, we've still got eight people, we'd start to flounder, wouldn't we? Think, oh, is it worth it? 120 years he clung on to this. Hundred and twenty years of hard work. The boat he built was big. One point four million square feet. It wasn't built with power tools. Everything had to be cut by hand. Everything had to be put together by hand. Him and his three sons, four people building a boat of one point four million square feet. No wonder he gave him hundred and twenty years to do it. It's not the kind of thing you knock up in a weekend. There were no shortcuts for Noah. We'll look at later what he, what he had to do. He obeyed every single word. You know, there were no shortcuts to being a Christian either. You have to have faith. There were no shortcuts to being a Christian. There were no quick fixes. Failure happens very, very quickly. You've seen people who drop away. It happens quickly. But restoration takes time. If people have fallen away. They do it very quickly. They'll be gone just like that. You won't even notice they've gone sometimes. But bringing them back is a slow process. Failure happens quickly. Restoration takes time. So how do we faithfully live out the promises God has given us? Well, Hebrews 11, 4 verse 7 gives us a clue. It says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him by faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith so how do we live with our promises we live by faith And Noah's faith was based solely on one thing, and one thing only. All he had to go on was one thing, the word of God. He didn't have any drawings, he didn't have any pictures. God didn't show him a DVD of what was going to come. God said, I want you to build a boat, I'm going to flood the earth, I'm going to get rid of everybody, and I'm going to save you. And that was it, that's all he had, the word of God. 
our faith should also be based on the word of God. <clears throat> the Bible. I've heard people quote from the Bible before. That is the living word of God. So if you're struggling with your faith this morning, that's a good place to start. Back to the word of God. That's what Noah based his faith on. Not on actions, not on things he had already seen. Remember, faith isn't what we've already seen. Faith is in things unseen. Romans 10.17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Let's get back to the Bible. If you're struggling with your faith, let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to some of those promises that God has given. And thirdly, the third reason why I believe Noah should be on our list of heroes is that he was obedient to the end. He built the ark exactly as God told him to. Now Noah was not a boat builder. He was not a skilled craftsman. But God still asked him to build a boat. I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that you've been asked to do that you don't think you're skilled at? Maybe there are things that you think are a bit far for you, a bit much for you. Noah was asked to build a boat, a big boat. And he wasn't a boat builder. So what does God do? He tells him how to do it. Genesis 6, verse 14 to 16 says, So, this is God speaking, Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof on it and finish the ark within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. So that were his instructions. God said to Noah, build it with a gopher wood. Why gopher wood? Because it floats. Did Noah know that? I don't know. But gopher wood floats. So Noah did it. God is a practical God. If he's asked you to do something, you don't know how to do it, he will show you the way. Noah didn't know how to build a boat. He didn't know what to use. So God said, go for wood. So Noah used go for wood. God said, cover it with pitch inside and out. Why? Because it needs to be waterproof. It's going to be on the water for 100 days. So it needs to be waterproof. So what did Noah do? He covered it in pitch inside and out. God said, make it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. So what did Noah do? He built it, 450 feet wide, 75 feet high, 45 feet wide. He did exactly as God told him to. Why that big? Because there was an awful lot of animals to fit into it. God said, put a roof on it. Why? Because it was going to rain. It was going to rain heavy and it was going to rain long. If they didn't have a roof, they'd get wet. Just to keep them dry. God is a God who's practical. He knows what we need. He knew Noah needed a roof on his boat. If there wasn't a roof on the boat, they'd have all got wet. They'd have sunk the boat. God is a God of practical things. He knows what you need. Sitting here this morning, he knows exactly what you need. And he can provide that for you. God said, finish it 18 inches from the top. Now this boat is 450 feet long. Noah could have thought, what? Why 18 inches? That's not much. 18 inches, about that, is it? 450 feet is a bit more than that. He could have said, "Uh, no. But God is a God of detail. 
isn't he? He needed that space so that all the smelly air could get out. Otherwise, it would have been a very smelly boat for a year. God has got a detail. Can't imagine what it would be like to be in a boat for over a year with two of every unclean animal and seven pairs of all the birds and the clean animals. There's an awful lot of mess. There's an awful lot of smell. But God knew. If you stop it 18 inches from the roof, make a gap, all that can get out. God is a God of the practical. and He's a God of the detail. And he is in your life as well. You may think he doesn't care, but he does. Every detail of your life, all the practical parts of your life, God cares about. God said, put a door in the side, because they had to get in and out. So he did. Noah put a door in the side. God said, put lower, middle and upper decks. So he did. Make some more space that way. God said, get on with the animals. So he did. And then God shut the door. Why do you think God had to shut the door? Was it because Noah and his sons weren't strong enough? You know what? I think it was because Noah looked out and he would have seen people around. People were probably looking strangely at him, going, you're getting on the boat, why? There would have been people looking. And Noah was a man after God's heart. He would have yearned for those people. And he would have known once that door was closed, that was it. Their lives were over. They were going to suffer a horrible, horrible death. If they didn't drown, they would have starved. Babies, young people, old people. Probably the old and the babies would be the first to go because they probably couldn't swim. So can you imagine looking out that boat? Your friends. Noah would have had friends. He was well respected. Your friends there. And you know, once that door closes, that's it. Their lives are over. I think that's why God had to shut the door, because Noah couldn't. Because once that door was closed, that was the end of humanity as we knew it. But finally, after a year, God says, get off the boat. So he did. Have you noticed Noah didn't move until God said so? He didn't get on the boat until God said so. Noah said, or God said to him, get on the boat, you've got seven days to collect all these animals. Seven more days for people to repent. They didn't. So Noah had to get on the boat. Him, his wife, his three, three sons and their wives, and all these animals. And then God shut the door. A year goes past and they get off. So what's the first thing Noah does? Noah is now king of the castle. Everybody and everything is dead, apart from him and his family. That's it, nothing. Can you imagine how silent that would have been? There's nothing around. There's nothing there. No animals, because they all drown. No humans, they were all killed. Be a little plant life, but most of the trees have been washed away. Maybe a bit of grass on the ground. Nothing, no, nothing making a noise because there was nothing there. It was them, it was eight of them and a load of animals. So, what's Noah do? Does he get out, stretch his legs, have a look around? I think this is nice. I have a very large garden there. This is mine, it's all mine. Now, the first thing he does was to make an atonement sacrifice first thing he does is to get off the boat, build an altar, 
And out of the few clean animals he had, he had seven pairs of each clean animal. Takes them and he slaughters them as an atonement offering. You see back in Leviticus and in, the, in Job, the atonement offering was for the atonement of sins. So Noah gets off the boat, 100 days. He's the only man around. God said, yeah, no, you're, you're a good man. I like you. Still, Noah gets off and says, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to sacrifice all these for my sins. And that's what God was looking for. He was looking for a repentant world, wasn't he? That's what he didn't see. Every thought of those people who died was evil. He was looking for repentant people. And it's the same today. Jesus calls people to repentance. And Noah understood that. So he gets off the boat. The first thing he does is sacrifice these animals for his sins. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done. Will you help me? And that's what God's looking for this morning. If you haven't done that this morning, if you haven't met with God, if you haven't had your sins forgiven, that's what he's looking for this morning. Just to say, I'm sorry. It can be a very difficult thing to say sometimes. But because of his obedience, Noah was blessed. We read at the end of Genesis 9 that God made him fruitful and head of all living things. So he was head of his family. He was head of all the animals. He was now allowed to eat all the animals as well. It wasn't just the, the green shoots and things. It, God said to him, you can now eat anything as long as it hasn't got lifeblood in it. So he could eat all the pigs. He could then eat the cows, all those things that I enjoy to eat. Some of you may not, some of you may be vegetarian, may not, but I enjoy to eat those things. And Noah was set, Noah was told, you can go and do that now. You have freedom. I'm giving you all this. I'm giving you this world. Go and inhabit it. Go and make the most of it. Go and have lots of children. They're a blessing, aren't they? Those of you who've got kids know how much of a blessing children are. God made him fruitful and made him ruler over everything because he obeyed. He put up with 120 years of hardship. He put up with people mocking him because he was building a rather large boat in the middle of a very dry desert. He put up with the fact that for 120 years he preached the gospel and not a single person responded. The only response I guess he got was more mocking, more people saying, what are you doing? What was his reward? He was fruitful and he was made head of all living things. So just as we close, what do we learn from Noah? We learn that it's possible to remain faithful and pleasing to God even in the midst of a corrupt and sinful generation. Unfortunately, we're in the middle of a corrupt and sinful generation. But we can still remain faithful to God, to the things he says, to the things he wants us to do. It wasn't easy for Noah, but he found favour in the eyes of God because of his remarkable obedience. Just a couple of questions for you. Are you living with a promise? Has God said something to you that you can't believe? Has he said something to you a while ago? Remember Noah, 120 years. Maybe God said something to you a few years ago and you can't bring yourself to believe it. Are you going to trust in God like Noah did? Are you walking with God? Are you reading your Bible? Noah walked with God. 
Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Are there things in your life that you know God's been speaking to you about? Maybe tough decisions that you know you've got to make. Decisions that may cause you pain and hardship. But Noah did exactly as God told him to. Because he knew God had Noah's best interests at heart. He knew that God knew best. He knew that the best boat boat maker in the business was God. So we followed him step by step. Every step of the way. So are you doing what God has asked you to do? Noah did. To the final thing. And he was blessed. He was made fruitful. Shall we stand? I'm going to pray. And then we go and pick up some kids. Yeah, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the example of Noah. Lord, I thank you that you had favour on him. Lord, he was just like us. Lord, he was no different to the rest of the people on that earth. But Lord, you had favour on him. You looked upon him, you picked him out, and you made him the great man he was. Lord, I thank you, you can do that for us. Lord, no matter how dirty we feel, Lord, no matter how far we feel we've fallen, Lord God, when you look and choose us, Lord God, when you have favour upon us, when you point that finger at us and say, yes, you, you can restore us. You can bring us back. And Lord, all you ask of us is to be faithful and to follow your ways. Lord, you've given us a great book. Lord, you've given us the word of God that teaches us how to live. Lord, help us to follow that. Lord, as Noah did, step by step. Lord, Noah followed everything that you said. And Lord, I just pray now, you'd help us to do that. Lord, there's tough decisions we've got to make. Lord, things that may cost us. Lord, decisions that may cost Lord, I thank you that Noah paid the price of 120 years of mocking, 120 years of hard work to see your promises fulfilled. Lord, I pray that we would do that. Yeah, thank you, Lord God, that you have chosen each and every one of us. That, Lord God, you are restoring us, Lord. We know it's quick to fail, but, Lord, restoration is slower. But, Lord, you are restoring us, and your promise is that, Lord, you will make us more like you every day and Lord that's what we want to become more like you we want to know you more Lord God thank you thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning